Welcome to the Housewife of Horrors podcast. And welcome back to another week of Housewife of Horrors. I am your host, Regina, and I am here with my ever-faithful companion, Evil, from 3B Video. Say hello, Evil. Yo, yo, yo. And this week, um, I I guess we're going to get back into the heavy, and we're totally going to discuss the... uh, I wasn't actually sure what direction I was going to go with this, and I actually, (laughs) as I sit here... I still don't know, but I did a lot of in-depth research into the murders of Cabrini Green, which everyone knows is the housing addition that is mostly demolished now, but is uh, was in Chicago. Yeah, I, I'll take the unfortunate, I guess, credit for, for part of this, because you were like, man, what should I do next? And I was like, well... You talked about getting into maybe talking a little bit about movies. It's like, what about you do a, a two-parter? What if you talk about Candyman before you talk about the movie Candyman and do a little background in that movie and talk about the housing project of Cabrini Green? Oh, I did want to say real quick, though. I actually got my first suggestion for a show. Oh. So shout out to Michael. And we will. I will be looking into the ice cream truck murders a little more. So, um, so shout out to him for his suggestion. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's just a pilot for Freddy's Nightmares. So just watch that and you got it. Um, and we will, I will have that for you next week. But uh, now I mean, starting two weeks because you're gonna. Oh yeah. Next week you're gonna do actually a movie. You're gonna talk about the film Candyman and your thoughts and opinions about it. I totally forgot already. Yeah, this is your part one of two parter that you're actually gonna go with an actual two parter. Uh, well, perspectively speaking, it will be a two-parter, possibly. It I, has to be a two-parter. I hope. But um, just to kind of give a little history, the construction for Cabrini Green began in 1942, and the housing addition was named after Frances Xavier Cabrini, or also known as Mother Cabrini. She was a nun that took care of impoverished intel- uh, Italian immigrants. That's a whole lot of I words there. Mother! Uh, in the Missionary Sister of the Sacred Heart, the mission that she founded, and she is the only American that's been, uh, I don't know the proper word, cantonized, canized, something like that, but anyway, she's the first American that has actually had canonized uh, the uh, sainthood bestowed upon her for all of her work that she has done with people, her charitable uh, humanitarian work. Oh man, this this sounds like this could only go up. Like, there's no bad things that come with the start like this. Oh yeah, you know we got a nun taking care of people. What could go wrong? Sacred Heart. I mean, worked in scrubs. So, like I said, construction began in 1942. It was covering 70 acres, 10 sections built over 20 years, and it was housing for like 15,000 people. Um, The construction began on the Cabrini two-story row houses, which had 586 units over 54 buildings, and that was complete in 1945. 1957, the Cabrini extension north and south was added on. These are the red brick, mid-rise, high-rise buildings, and those have 1,925 units over 15 buildings. Uh, So you can see how the 70 acres is really being utilized here. But it didn't stop there. Mm. In 1962, the William Green Homes added 1,096 units um, to the Cabrini Green acreage there. And William Green, you're probably like, who's that? Or maybe not. But he was the longtime president of the American Federation of Labor. So uh, why they name those buildings after that guy and not somebody who was actually doing more stuff for that community or whatever is beyond me but that's the story of who William Green was. I just threw a dart like winner winner chicken dinner. Um, so over the years the housing addition would face numerous problems. They would have tight construction budgets which led to poor quality in the buildings being built. 
there was gang violence, property damage and vandalism, fires, uh, and they wouldn't actually fix any of the fire or do any restoration. They would just board it up, call it a day. Uh, rat and cockroach infestation clogged. I read this, and this was like... Um, this is the 50s. Though. I don't know. This is just over the time frame. Oh, this okay. isn't just okay. the 50s. And to be honest with you, when doing the research about this, I really couldn't find anything like murder-wise before 1970, but I'm sure there were murders there before then. But 1970 is when like the murder timeline picks up. So um, I did read this, and I don't know if this was... Uh, I feel like if I had a part of this, this would be kind of a standoff thing of who can go longer, and believe me, you're <laughs> going to lose, but they actually had clogged trash chutes that led to piles of garbage, and one of the piles made it to the 15th floor. <laughs> a pile of garbage to the 15th floor. Yeah, that probably started, it started like first second floor like this is bullshit when's someone gonna do something about this eight nine ten floors you're like let's just keep going um and honestly this just speaks for how much they didn't care meaning like the maintenance and the chicago housing authority really didn't i don't think they cared because if you let trash get up to 15 stories high that's a clear sign that's a mountain of trash that you don't care that's somebody that's like i'm not paid enough to deal with this shit also in addition to like the infestations the the poor work basic utilities like water and electricity would malfunction regularly and sometimes they would go days without having water and or electricity it's like the money pit um, so in an effort to kind of save money, they did take these nice grassy areas and started concreting over grass to save on money and uh, maintenance. They put fencing over the balconies to prevent injuries and more trash, jump, trash dumping. Uh, however, the exterior changes kind of only added to the negative stigma um, of it kind of being a cage with these people in it. Um, uh, that's my opinion. I think that it added to the negative stigma did of they, this place. I'm just like, do they do the concrete over the grass, right? Or did they just pour that shit over the grass? Like, if they didn't do well on the construction of other things, like, did they keep up that shitty craftsmanship with this as well? No. Oh, this they did right. So, in 1994, the city of Chicago received, it was called the Hope 6 grant, and it was to redevelop Cabrini into a mixed-income neighborhood. Part of the development was the demolishing of 666 units, which began a year later in 95. How many? 660. Oh, six off. Yes. Um, in March of 2011... The last of the high-rise building was demolished, and I'm going to go into the last people to live there as well, because I, I personally like her story. Um, but um, anyway, uh, rewind. The the home row, uh, the house rows. I'm sorry, I cannot speak today. So the row houses are still there, even though everything else is gone. And looking into like videos and instant street view of the row houses, it does appear that very few of them are still occupied and lived in, but a good majority of it, and I mean a good majority of it, it is fenced off like 10 foot high fencing. It's all boarded off. Razor wire. You cannot even walk down the street between two closed off buildings because they have fenced everything off to where you cannot get in there landmines are next um and so then going back to the instant street view i noticed across the street from these boarded up row houses of cabrini green they have these really nice i think they look really nice high dollar like condos there yeah you show that's one of the few pictures you showed me and it's like yeah it's literally a street and on one side, I'm on the east side, I'm on the west side, I'm on the rich side, I'm on the less rich side. Um, it really is, like, I looked into Zillow just to see the cost of what some of these condos were selling for. $600,000 condos 
literally across the street from boarded up row houses of Cabrini Green. This is such a juxtaposition of a neighborhood. Um, I wish I kind of knew more about the neighborhood, like living there, being a local or whatever, but... Yeah, there's got to be some kind of stories. If nothing else, it'd be a boss place for some photography work just down the street just to see what... Just to see polar opposites like that in the closest of proximity ever. All right, so now that brings us to the murders and assaults of this place. Um, a lot of these are just people getting shot, which is very unfortunate, but some of these um, really take it to the next level. It's like, oh my God, I, I keep asking myself when I was doing the research, how can people still live there? but it's hard to get out of a cycle when you're caught up in it and when you don't have the money to get out or the means to get away you're kind of locked in this vacancy of well we're here we kind of have to deal with it and I'm glad to see that it's I would like to say that I'm glad to see it's demolished but even after the demolition the murders didn't stop but we'll get into that I mean it's it can be amazing what uh, people can get used to um, when they have to. Yes. Uh, and I'll tell you, anybody who lived through all of this and, you know, really survived living in Cabrini Green. Um, Could do anything. Uh, yeah. That's like hats off to them. They are some tough fucking people because... This, I mean, they lived in a fucking war zone in Chicago of all places. You would think, you know, Middle East, some third world country, something like that, that I'm talking about a place like that. And I'm not, I'm just talking about the, the streets of Chicago. So it, once again, um, my research starts at 1970. There could have been some murders before that. However, I didn't find anything but just because I didn't find it didn't mean it didn't happen. So it all started in July of 1970 when uh, patrolman Anthony Rosado and Sergeant James Severin, they were volunteering for a walk and talk project that helped build community relations between police officers and the local community. Um, they were there building community relations and they were shot from one of the high rises. A 17-year-old named Johnny Veal and George Knights, uh, I'm not exactly sure how George Knights was, uh, I totally forgot to look that up, but uh, they were convicted and both given 100 years. Uh, mm. Johnny Veal ended up being, Johnny Veal, he sounds like a meat dealer, but anyway. <laughs> what sounds like, yeah, like, go see Johnny Veals. He's got the best cuts in town. Uh, but he was paroled in February of 2021. However, <laughs> Knights still remains in prison. Um, I don't. I didn't look too much into that because there was so many murders that I felt once <laughs> I kind of started investigating one thing, it led to another and led to more names and more names. And we'll get into that as you'll see. <laughs> Deeper the hole you go. So... Um, that's kind of where some shit started was the killing of these two police officers uh, during this community relations program. And one thing that you will hear me say a lot is because I read it a lot is snipers. Snipers are a big deal in the Cabrini Green uh, neighborhood and just how a lot of people were killed. Which is weird. So um, in theory is weird. Yes, so then at the end of July, July 28th, 1970, according to this newspaper I found, um, so Kansas residents uh, get like free access to the archives, and sometimes uh, in those papers they of course report about other places other than just Kansas. So I was able to find some like archive newspapers of articles of events and occurrences that took place in the Cabrini Green neighborhood. But this one, according to the Parsons Sons, uh, and the title is called uh, Stack of Apartments, A Nightmare. And just at this point in the article, they and I quote, Last year there were five persons killed and 41 persons wounded in gang-related shootings at Cabrini Green. 
Sniping between buildings is a, quote, nightly exercise at the Cabrini Green, at Cabrini Green. So that right there talks about pre these police officers. Uh, so there were murders, at least five of them in the last year, and 41 people just shot or hurt due to gang-related shootings. Um, so that speaks volumes for pre-police shootings, then the police shootings in 1970. Then um, we kind of had a little bit of a famous death in 1976. Um, in September 30th, 1976, uh, the actor Norman Gibson, who was in Cooley High, uh, he was killed. Um, he was killed 11 days after his 25th birthday, of all things. Uh, he was he got uh what is it like when they were making the movie they found him and a couple other guys and they're like oh these guys you know are like the real deal we want them for our movie oh yeah they're authentic yes they were in this movie uh cooley high and then after of course the movie he went back to living in cabrini green living his regular life just being a regular joe so one night he's at a dice game watching you know people play dice three men drove up two of them got out and approached gibson one of them fired a blast from a shotgun in the middle of his back the other guy shot him in the head while he was going down and he was shot in front of 14 witnesses that's a hell of a dice game first of all you got 14 people playing dice that's a world series of dice uh the motive was revenge for an alleged assault by gibson against one of the gunman's sisters um how true that is, I don't know. Uh, you know how word is on the street. Sometimes you can have proof and people are still just going to believe what they want to believe. But uh, Cooley High was based off of Eric Monty, the writer of the movie, his experiences at Cooley Vo- Vocational High School, which closed in 1979. But Cooley Vocational High School served many of the students of Cabrini Green. So... Hmm. They got, it's basically this guy who grew up in Cabrini Green. They got guys who lived in Cabrini Green. And it's all just about his experiences in high school and in the neighborhood. Um, It was alleged that Norman was a gang member. And you know how that goes. Um, You know, somebody just wants retaliation for somebody, hell, even bumping into somebody can get you killed so um i don't know if can show weakness to another side gotta be so i don't know if it was he was killed in retaliation of being in a rival gang or if he really did assault this guy's sister needless to say he was brutally murdered just hanging out watching some people play dice on the corner um which then kind of leads us into the early 80s here um this part this little segment here is going to get a little deep but uh in 1981 there were 11 homicides that occurred that caused mayor jane byrne to move into cabrini green um so apparently these 11 homicides happened over three months time frame um, there were also 130 shootings and 120 stabbings, hundreds of rapes, robberies, and assaults, according to the Washington Post in an article called Combat Zone Calm by Blaine Harden. Oh, Combat Zone Calm. And it was by Blaine Harden, and he wrote this in April of 81. And it goes on to say that as the mayor was pulling up to kind of do an evaluation before she made her move into the apartment building, that there was, quote, a 14-year-old girl sitting in a squad car outside who had just been raped. So, I mean, that just goes to show the level of <sighs> violence. Like, they, it is a lot of kids. They don't give a damn if the mayor's coming up here to visit. They are killing and raping people. And I saw, a, uh, I was unable to find it again, but a special on uh, YouTube that aired back back in the day that covered that time frame of this, where she liked to try to calm shit down and moved in for a little bit. And one of the things like her, like her Secret Service people did is there was a back way into the building she lived in and to uh, thwart any, you know, 
chicanery, they like literally sealed up the back door, which ended up aiding a lot of the uh, gang violence as far as the sniping and shooting because like well we know at least this way is clear because no one can get in through the back door because mayor people sealed it off well uh it was also reported that she only stayed for about three weeks that's about what i heard too (laughs) and then of course she bounced um and then uh it's been stated throughout the early 80s that uh police say that most tenants live in fear because some 75 to 100 troublemakers among the estimated 600 gang gang members at Cabrini Green. Like, a gang of 600 gang members. That is, that's serious numbers. Once again, this is over a number of acres, number of buildings and territories we're talking here, but still 600 gang members. 600 people in a town. Like a fairly populated town is still a lot of people. Um, I went on to kind of talk about just some of these murders is just something as simple as somebody was walking, they got shot, but it's the ages. It's the simplicity of their motives that just are all dropping through this whole thing. Uh, So in April of 1985... 18-year-old Franklin Stevenson was shot eight times in the chest after buying some cigarettes from the neighborhood liquor store. Uh, He did belong to a local gang, and he was shot by a rival gang. Uh, A 22-year-old and a 15-year-old was arrested and charged with his murder. Mm. Man, we we got babies out here killing and dying. And over what? Because he's in a different gang? He's on my turf? I understand that when sometimes you kind of have nothing, they kind of hold, you know, people who have nothing hold on to this whatever they can. And if that means turf, then so be it. I feel like that's got to be a big factor is one of the dogs barking all over the neighborhood. They're hearing shit, but... Like one of the like maybe the only means of making money is dealing where you're at, and if you're dealing and these other guys are dealing, that's literally your competition. And it's not like it's two corporations and you know take you know sophisticated swipes at each other. It's more it's ruthless. Uh, truly, especially when you know this 15 year old, he didn't even make it to a senior in high school, and that's. What I find so heartbreaking is that so many of these stories that we're going to discuss are their babies. Uh, on the grand scheme of things, 15-year-old ain't a baby, but when it comes to life, 15's a baby. Uh, when you have a 15-year-old, trying to imagine that 15-year-old in this kind of situation, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we kind of started off with just some, you know, just murders. This one guy got shot. This next story... Uh, So I went to go get more details about this next murder, which led me down another rabbit hole of more violence and errors in the Chicago healthcare system. Oh, boy. Um, This one comes from the Chicago Tribune. Uh, I do a lot of Chicago Tribune. Um, They have tons of articles about all kinds of violence through Cabrini Green. But in June of 1985, a teen was held in teen held in Cabrini killing and two gunmen hunted so something that the Chicago Tribune does do that I find kind of odd and weird is they'll have an article like I just said teen held in Cabrini killing two gunmen hunted this is two completely different stories in this one article um, but the start the article starts out giving the details to Charles Taylor's murder He was 18 years old, killed in a gang shooting. Sean Mitchell, 16 years old, will be uh, tried as an adult for his murder. So we got this 16-year-old now who has killed this guy. But then, so the first two paragraphs start out with Charles Taylor. Then there's an ad, and then it goes to the next two paragraphs that leads me to another murder victim to look further into. So in... June of 81, we're uh, sorry, 85, we're still in the same month here. 
Willie Jones, 27, was shot and killed. But of the first two paragraphs, there's only one sentence about him before going on to talk about a sniper that wounded two 13-year-old girls the following day. Uh, so these two 13-year-old girls, they're playing in the courtyard, just thinking it's a regular Saturday, and a sniper, you know, wounds them. The next paragraph mentions two men wounded in a sniper attack on Monday night. So we've got Charles Taylor killed. We got Willie Jones killed. We got two 13-year-old girls wounded. Another two men wounded by snipers. And then in two small paragraphs, yes, we have one dead guy and four sniper attacks. This is just over a period of a weekend. The article then takes another turn in the next two paragraphs. And I have to read these next two paragraphs word for word from the Chicago Tribune from the same article, June 5th, 1985. Uh, it says, Tony Hilliard, 18, was shot in the head at about 6 p.m. as he stood at the 1100 block of North Larrabee Avenue. At 10 p.m., Charles Barnside, 25, was shot in the leg outside of a building at 500 West Oak Street. After Hilliard was treated at Heroton Hospital, he was scheduled to be transferred by ambulance to Cook County Hospital, and officials of the ambulance company said they took him to the trauma unit at 8.05 p.m. However, county hospital officials said that they could find no record of him being admitted, but then they finish up the sentence with, Barnside was in fair condition at Heroton. So we know that Barnside was shot in the leg. He's fine. We know where he is. But we got Hilliard, Tony Hilliard here, uh, shot in the head. So if they're transferring him, that leads me to believe he survived this shot in the head. But nobody can seems to know where this guy is. There's no follow-up. Like, I looked this guy's name up, and I can't find a, oh, he was located at this hospital. He's in stable condition. He'll go on to be fine, blah, blah. I couldn't find anything of the sort. So they took him to the trauma unit, the hospital saying, we got no fucking record of this dude. So did he, this article, I had to read this word for word because I felt like they didn't give us all the information what happened to Tony Hilliard? Did he survive? Did they find him? What hospital did they take him to? Yeah, that's weird. Like, I had more questions when <laughs> I was done reading this informational article. Informational. And I'm just, like, left dumbfounded with questions about, <laughs> about what happened. You people going, I don't know. And... Okay, so now through this article, this is now escalated to two dead guys, four sniper attacks, one guy shot in the leg, one guy shot in the head survives, but the hospital has no record of him, and we have even more questions as to what happened to the guy who was shot in the head. I want to believe he's living his best life out on a beach right now. I mean, did they find Tony? Where did they find him? What was his condition? Did he even get the care he needed? Like, is he just being transferred around while he's got this bullet in his head and he dies because they didn't make it on time? Um, yeah, the last two paragraphs talk about other people not previously mentioned in the article. They're kind of, I don't want to say they're not important to this, but in this case, they're not important to this article. So, yeah, I mean, we've got all these people hurt. We've got hospital errors going on left and right it just it sounds like a real shit show going on yeah it's, it sounds like a mess and I don't I can't imagine being anywhere around it just I mean just trying to figure out how to get any kind of like headway anywhere and that article I just I started out just wanting to know about uh Charles Taylor I just was looking into this 18 year old who was killed in a gang shooting and from there, I have, you know, more people dead, 
We've got people shot in the courtyard of the apartment complex. It just spider webs out. It does. And like a lot of these articles, not a lot, but there's a few of these articles that just take this rabbit hole of murder and mayhem and gang violence. And I, I thought as soon as I'm done with reading about this guy, I'll move on to the next article. And it's like, no, you're going to end up getting like four or five more names yeah, this is just researching this stuff for a podcast. Imagine, you know, in the trenches living this shit. And I'm only to 1985, and my timeline of murder, I have shit all the way up to almost today. So, I mean, this if this just tells you the volume of people getting killed and murdered there. I mean, you hear about it, you hear about, oh, it's such a violent place. Oh, it's one of the most dangerous places in Chicago, but it's like, what is it that makes it dangerous? Uh, what makes it dangerous is babies with guns and snipers in high-rises. And that, another thing I saw in that uh, special i seen is the police were too afraid to actually to go in there for a lot of things. And there's literally footage that you can see from like people filming from rooftops far far away into where they are and like on new year's day like dudes just taking like ak-47 and shit on new year's and is fucking shooting in the air for new year's and nobody shows up to do anything about it if they did patrol they always just kind of patrolled the outskirts of cabrini green and a lot of people did evacuate the area when they would do the New Year's Eve shootings and stuff, like just shooting up into the air. It's like Arkham City. Um, yeah, so we have very little police presence, and I mean... <laughs> I'm going to say little to none. And that's a shame, just a shame. So then in November of 1985... 20-year-old Brandon Davis was shot in the hallway of his apartment building. That 20 or 12? Uh, where? Right there? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's 20. Um, However, we are going to get into some young people here. Two 17-year-olds were arrested for his, for shooting him, and they gave no reason for the shooting. Um, Fine, like no squealers kind of thing? um, You talk about any of this shit, then you'll be next on the block. Uh, later, uh, the same year, I'm sorry, earlier the same year, uh, I got a little confused in my timeline. I put July after I mean, November. I mean, there's a lot going on. It's easy to get uh, slipped up. <laughs> okay, this story is one of, this is one of the saddest ones. Um, I mean, this all is so far. I, truly, is... but this one is just, there. I don't know why there wasn't more public outcry. Um, there will be public outcry later about all the children, but uh, nine-year-old Lakita Crosby was killed when a bullet was meant for a gang member, and it struck her as she played in the same Cabrini Green apartment building um, that this gang member was at. So once again, she's just playing, thinking it's just going to be a regular day. And she was shot and killed. Uh, In that same month, six hooded men with baseball bats beat up a key witness in testifying in her case. Lakita's family was so afraid to talk to investigators fearing gang violence. Her uncle, Gerald, was then attacked, allegedly by his former gang members. Uh, At the same time, the suspect... uh, was charged for Lakita's murder. So as this murderer is getting charged, her uncle is getting attacked. We have the main witness getting attacked. So now we have, you know, people being attacked that are just witnesses to this or family members of people that were unnecessarily killed. Not that anyone was necessarily killed. Um, so that one was really sad. We have an innocent nine-year-old. And, yeah, moving on, that one's just a little, that one's a little rough. Because, man, she didn't even make it to ten. So later that same year, <laughs> as the same building as Lakita, 12-year-old Richard Barners was shot in the face as he opened the door to his apartment. 
I'm sorry. I'm trying not to get upset, but I mean, this is heavy. This is um, a 16 year old Dewan Brown was charged as an adult with his murder. He said that he was walking door to door looking for rival gang members. And this was uh, reported in the Chicago Tribune, uh, Christmas Day, 1985, of all things. So, like, a couple of days before Christmas, this innocent 12-year-old, he's home, probably watching, you know, some cartoons. Here's a knock at the door, like, oh, wonder who that could be. And he gets killed by someone who thought he was a gang member. Once again... There's not, besides, you know, some articles and I'm sure some public outrage by the very local community, family members, friends of the family, but once again, where's the public outcry for these children? Um, It doesn't really get any better. Uh, July of 87, Carl Simmons, 20 years old, was stabbed in the chest over a pair of sunglasses. Uh, he didn't die right away, but he did die three weeks later from his injuries. And this time, he was killed by a 16-year-old girl. 16-year-old stabbed the dude 20? Uh, it didn't say how many times. They just said but, he um, was... No, just the age difference of, like, a 16-year-old stabbed a 20-year-old. Yes. Okay. Uh, kind of reading some of the details, it sounds like he was over-visiting. I don't know. I don't think he was visiting the girl, but he was at her house. He left some sunglasses there. He went back for the sunglasses. Apparently an altercation broke out, which resulted in her stabbing him repeatedly in the chest, in which he died three weeks later from his injuries. So once again, now we have another senseless killing over a pair of probably $5 sunglasses. Kids killing kids. I mean, 20's not really a kid, but... 20 is not exactly old either. If you're under 21, you're still a kid. Um, And these stories just go on to get even worse. Like this next article, uh, Chicago Tribune, September 88. uh, It's three three slain in Cabrini-Green shootings. Okay, this article, they say three slain. So that means three people were killed. But as I'm reading this article, the numbers just uh, go up. Uh, I don't know any other way to put this. but writing it in real time. A lot of this, I kind of went word for word, but it says three slain. But then it goes to say five shootings took place over the weekend that left three dead and seven wounded. However, I have a different count. I count more people dead, and the seven wounded is legit. So it all started about 3.30 Saturday. Um, It says here, two victims were sitting in a car when a man passing by in another car opened fire. So we have two victims that were shot, so that's two wounded. Then uh, the same day, Um, I cannot pronounce this person's name, uh, so we'll just say person A, was shot in the head as he walked in the stairway. Later the same day, Bertha Allen, who's 22, was killed when several bullets hit the car. Her brother James was shot in the jaw, and the third person in the car was not harmed. He made it to the hospital in serious but stable condition, so Bertha was killed, brother James is unstable but not good condition being shot in the face then later in the same weekend Robert Lee Gallon as in a gallon of milk 19 years old was shot down in a quote hail of gunfire in front of his house in which he was shot six times then I'm kind of curious how some of these news reports even get out. If there hardly, if there's hardly a police presence, like how much of this stuff is going on that is not reported? Um, I do know legally when you go to a hospital and you were shot, that is reported. Yeah, they got to report that. So I'm I mean, assuming that a lot of these are coming from emergency room, 
uh, visits from these people getting shot and or killed. But I'm just like, what, like, all the, like, failed ones, like, how much stuff is going on that's not reported? Like, this is just stuff that we hear about. Like, how much of this shit is, like, going on that's, like, near misses and stuff all the time? I'm not even done with this article and how many people are dead yet. <laughs> so. Continue. Then, the same day that Robert Lee Gallon was shot, a 34-year-old man was killed and three men were wounded. So we've got another person dead, three more wounded. Then we got a man about 20 years old, they said, got out of a van and opened, fired on a group, uh, opened fire on a group of people. Willie Moore, a, a guy who is just a newspaper delivery guy, he's working in the area, he's delivering some newspapers, and he gets shot in the face and dies at the hospital. Uh, and then, once again, all in the same weekend, Marvin Warfield, 33, was shot in the chest, leg, and arm and was last listed in serious condition. And then Keith Ross, 22, was shot in the leg, but he was treated and released. Thank goodness he was okay. But we still, we have like, not three slain. We have like five people dead, seven people wounded. That's what, 12 people in a matter of three days that's like four people a day and it's not even a hospital it's just like a military hospital and this now. isn't in like a city this isn't the city's numbers this is like a housing addition yeah, one local area of like 15,000 people we have these 12 already you know, yeah Alan Alda didn't encounter this much gunfire surgery in MASH um, okay, this is one that started to make some big news. Uh, we're moving into the 90s. Uh, this one this one is just as heartbreaking, though. But I want to say that it maybe started to bring some change, but we're going to be realistic here, and it didn't. So in October of 92, even younger, 7-year-old, Dantrell Davis was walking to school. And uh, I'll post a picture of him up on my Instagram and the Facebook page so you can kind of see faces to these names. But he was such a cute little boy. He had his little cute smile and he's on his way to school and shot from one of the high rises by a sniper. Uh, they did actually find the guy. He, they found him on the 10th floor and his name was Anthony Garrett and he was charged with first-degree murder and received a hundred-year sentence. He said his intent was to kill a rival gang member, but he accidentally hit the boy instead. So apparently, I guess the boy was walking on his way to school, obviously, but there were gang members within feet of this boy. And Or just using the term sniper too loosely and just should be just replaced with like, douchebag on a rooftop or just randomly firing from building like not really sniper sniper um to add insult to injury dantrell's father kelvin darnell davis was murdered uh about a month before he died so this this poor woman the mom annette freeman um, I don't know if her and the father were together, but still, they have this child together. I'm sure they have some kind of relationship where they're working together to care for this boy, and now he's killed. And then a month later, you know, she's still trying to probably get herself together, process, explain to her son, you know, dad's not here anymore. And then this happens. Um, it's just one heartbreak after another for Annette Freeman and personally I think this community um yeah it's this is kind of hard to talk about not my intention when I suggested the topic that it'd get this hardcore heavy um so a few years go by and of course there's murders in these few years lots of them but that brings us to 1997 this is probably one of Cabrini Green's most infamous, infamous assaults. Um, luckily, the poor girl survived. Um, 
anyway, moving on to the details. Um, Nine-year-old, they first refer to her as Girl X. Uh, and there is a reason why they kept her identity private. Uh, her identity does come into play um, about five years later, and we'll get into that. But nine-year-old Girl X was lured into an apartment by Patrick Skies Sykes. I'm sorry, Sykes. He lured her into an apartment where he... This is beyond. Um, he raped her. He strangled her with a t-shirt. He stepped on her throat. He hit her in the head with a blunt object. He poured roach killer down her throat and then drew gang signs on her stomach in an effort to throw police off of his trail. She was left for dead in the snow. Sorry, it's a little hard. Um, she did survive, but she is blind, paralyzed, mute, and has brain damage. The family didn't reveal her identity, which her name is Shatoya Curry. They revealed her identity in 2002 when the state care facility that she was staying in was in jeopardy of being shut down by Governor George Ryan at the time. They revealed her identity to put a real face to those who are in desperate need of state care. Uh, in 2009, she eventually did age out of the facility at the age of 22. And as of 2016, oh, before that, she has kind of made a few friends along the way. Uh, the gorgeous singer Jennifer Hudson uh, has taken time to become her friend and help her when she can. So that's beautiful of Jennifer Hudson. Um, I think she's just fabulous anyway. But she is, as of 2016, and I could not find anything more recent than this, except for what I'll say after this, but she was living in an assisted care facility. Uh, I don't think that that care facility is in any jeopardy or anything of that, so I think she is in a place that's not in jeopardy of being shut down. She is safe. She is being cared for. The family did sue for negligence. And I believe they, yes, they did win. Uh, because they had a security company that was supposed to be patrolling the place, taking care of the place. And obviously, if they were doing their job, none of this would have happened. Uh, Sykes was convicted and sentenced to 120 years. Not enough. Uh, he is still fighting it because he said that the police beat him and he had a 56-hour interrogation and he just confessed out of fatigue and t he just wanted to kind of tell them what he, they wanted to hear. Uh, I don't give a shit. 56 hours, 56 fucking days. I am not admitting to some shit that I did not do. And nobody should. I mean, there are stories about people who... I mean, it, it's a whole thing of uh, false confessions kind of thing. But not saying this has happened in this situation at all. Uh, but it is a thing that's out there. But um, <sighs> Shatoya, she can communicate through blinking out letters, which is interpreted by a speech therapist. Um, this little last part... It's a little touching and it's sad, but she said that when she was younger, she aspired to be a dancer, but now she wants to be a writer. See, she said she would write and she blinked out the words. She would write my story. Then she spelled out life is harder now. I hope that book gets done. Me too. Um, I hope that Shatoya does tell her story, even if it takes years and a ghostwriter and all of that, her story should be heard. Um, and maybe shine some light on, you know, like assisted care facilities. Um, because it sounds like some of these are 
if it's not profitable or if it's not in the plans for government it's like fuck these people we're just gonna shut it down who gives a shit if she's mute and deaf and all this other stuff we're just gonna shut it down i mean corporate greed that's it uh yeah so shatoya's story that is uh even though she lived her story is just it's one of the worst ones and i had a really hard time i actually had to like take a break when reading it and writing about it because there is a lot of information out there about her and there's a picture with her and jennifer hudson and she's got her cute little yellow dress on and yeah um moving on we kind of moved to october of 1998 where jamar barnes a 17-year-old boy was shot down by four gang members the four confessed that they thought Jamar belonged to a rival gang, and of course they were all charged with first-degree murder. Once again, there's just, oh, they thought, oh, we went knocking door to door looking for people. It's so, a lot of assumptions. And so, and jumping to conclusions, and people losing their life over jumping to conclusions. This is just, yeah. Um, in 2000, we had another teenager, 15-year-old Latoya Chambers, is gunned down in her home in Cabrini-Green. Two months later, 23-year-old Jerome Chambers, her brother, was killed a couple blocks from where his sister was killed. Uh, the sad part of this story is Shirley Chambers, the mom of four, so Latoya, Jerome, a couple others, Shirley Chambers, mom of four, not just lost these two children, but she has lost all four of her kids to gun violence. In 1995, 18-year-old Carlos Chambers was shot in the back of the head uh, about five miles outside of Cabrini-Green, and her last son was killed in 2013. Um, he was also shot in the head a few miles away from Cabrini-Green. So in... 95 her 18 year old gets killed 2000 two of her other kids latoya and jerome get killed in 2013 her last son ronnie it's like i feel i'm glad that this place was torn down i know that it was established to help people get out of a cycle of poverty but this place has been nothing but a source of pain for so many people that I'm glad it's gone. Yeah, we started out all super positive. It feels like decades ago with the with the nun. Can we go back there? Yeah, right. You know, she's we, just once again she's helping immigrants and now we have tons of people murdered. Um in two thousand one, Charles Wiley was beaten to death by four men. Um, they beat him so bad, he had a torn spleen, Ugh. a fractured skull, broken ribs, and, of course, internal bleeding. Of course. The four men confronted him over some missing drugs. Three of the four were apprehended shortly after his murder. The fourth was arrested about a year later after being identified on the show Crime Watch. Crime Watch. Don't know that one. Uh, Probably it, a local like version of uh, no. It's it's another like crime watch daily. Huh. It's that proof that those shows fucking work. Leave them on the air, right? So yeah, just some missing drugs. Now, granted, it could be a few pounds of some stuff. It could have just been a nickel bag. Either, I mean, we had sunglasses earlier, so either way, this guy got beat so bad his spleen was torn and he was. He died over piddly stuff. Um, okay, so between 2001, we're getting ready to take a big time jump, and I'm sure there were plenty of murders uh, in this time frame from 2001 to 2010. I'm all right taking a good time jump. <laughs> right, so we're going to fast forward to October of 2010 when Bassam Noam, also known as Ali, and I apologize if I did not pronounce that name right. Uh, he was a neighborhood sto store owner, and he was shot six times 
and killed inside his store, Munchie's Market. And, of course, no suspects were ever found or arrested in that. Um, his wife did go on to kind of run the store for a while because Ollie was a neighborhood staple. Um, I mean, Munchie's Market sounds like an awesome place. Right. It sounds like the place I want to go to get my late night snacks. It does. I, I'm, I'm like, I want to go there just some saying the name. All right. So I talked about um, earlier that the, demol- the demolition started taking place, well, finished in like 2011. So it all began in 95. We get to this story here. It is December 9th, 2010. It is the last family moves out of Cabrini Green, and her name was Annie Ricks. Um, Annie Ricks was told by a court order that she and her family had to vacate their home. The children stated that their mother, quote, insisted on staying so the family could make a statement about the injustice of their forced relocation, end quote. Latasha Ricks, was asked, does Cabrini Green still exist? And I love what she says here, because this is true when it comes to any place or any memories of a place. She says, yes, it does. It, It does still exist. It's always going to exist. It's never going to die in my heart. Evil never does. So the Ricks family was the last one and I'll also include a picture of her. Um, so the last family finally moved out, and the last of Cabrini Green is being demolished over... They moved out December 2010, so just over the next few months, the final stages of the demolition will be ending. Okay, so now... It's 2011. The demolition has ended. Everything is gone but the row houses. However, this doesn't stop. I don't like the howevers. February of 2012, burglars duct-taped a man to his chair, and a 70-year-old man, might I add, and tortured him with red-hot spoons, beat up his 17-year-old son that has cerebral palsy, before stealing his handicapped modified van. They never found anybody in that case either. But once again... What assholes. We have this place that is gone, this harbinger of pain and horrible memories and great loss for so many people. And you would think maybe things would start to change. And it's not even a year after demolition and we've already got a 70 year old guy getting tortured with hot spoons and they're beating up handicapped people now um then in september of 2013 romaine hill uh, at the age of 22 was shot in the head while he was just trying to walk to work um he had surgery and survived and he testified against the man that shot him. And since that time, he was terrorized and threatened by local gang members. Uh, I don't know if Romaine is still alive to this day or if he moved out of the neighborhood. Uh, it wasn't the first time he was shot because he goes on to say how he was shot two years previously and then now shot again in 2013 and now he's being terrorized and stalked and threatened and i'm i'm just going to assume that all these victims that have been shot abused and whatnot that we don't hear anything from further on are all just living their best lives out on the beaches uh yeah i I have to i hope that romaine hill got the hell out and he's sleeping easy now um yeah because once again you would think after all of this is torn down and they don't have like the the shielding of the buildings the high rises to shoot from um that a, a lot of the pain i didn't think that oh you know it's gone everything is absolved everything's great it's gonna be sunshine and rainbows in this neighborhood and i didn't think that by any stretch of the imagination oh it's 
It's not it, something like this is not a one and done fix. It's gonna take effort, years, a lot more than a one simple act. Well, in 2017, August, uh, Raphael Taylor had a standoff, two-hour standoff with police, um, which ended in his arrest and the possession of uh, stolen firearms were, you know, in police custody. Uh, so nothing too major there, but we still got There's no a, death, so it's a, it's better. Right. It's just a two-hour standoff, which that's... I'll take it. That's really sad when a standoff is an improvement from all these other stories. It is. I'm like, oh, God, just a standoff. Oh, man, that's, that's okay. Uh, in April of 2019, 34-year-old Tiffany Lavelle was last seen in the Cabrini-Green area. Um, I did some more looking into this, and as far as I know, she is still missing to this day. She's on the beach. She is with Romaine Hill. Yes. Uh, that is not a theory by police or anything. That's just us talking. But, yes, she was last seen in the Cabrini-Green area, and that's all they wrote about that. Um, there's not a lot of details. There's no follow-up. We don't know if Tiffany is okay where Tiffany is. All reasons why I'm like, yeah, Bigfoot can totally exist because we can have people disappear in a city and no one knows anything. Uh, okay, this one takes a little left turn, but in January of 2020, a young boy was bit several times on the head by a coyote in the Cabrini Green area. Wasn't expecting that. Right, like we've got snipers, we've got children going dead, we've got people going missing, we got hot spoons, we've got stolen wheelchair vans, and now we have a goddamn a, coyote. A coyote, and it's like this is like the most lighthearted story of all of these. <laughs> and it's still not even lighthearted, really, because it's a it's a young boy getting bit. Um, <clears throat> later the same year, another young boy. Uh, this one kind of made this one made a lot of news too just like Dentrell's case but a nine-year-old boy Janari Ricks I don't know if he's relation to the Ricks family that was the last to move out of Cabrini Green or if just that's a coincidence but Janari Ricks was shot while playing with friends the gunman intended to kill a group of males that was standing near the playing children a little silver lining of this is the mother sued the company that was contracted to provide security for the housing complex just like uh, Shatoya Curry's family did. I'm like, so these fuckers never are doing their job? Uh, the lawsuit, as when I last looked, was filed in January of this year, 2021, and appears to be ongoing. 39-year-old Daryl Johnson has been charged with first-degree murder for Janari Ricks's death. And it's first degree because he planned on killing this g these gang members. He had the gun. He went to the place. It's all planned out. However, the bullet didn't get the intended target. Again. Yes. This is just craziness. Um... And then last of August 2020, um, there was a Chicago rapper. I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but F as in Frank, B as in boy, G as in goose, FBG, Duck. Duck, also known, his real name, Carlton Weekly, was shot by four people that drove up in two cars. Uh, he was in the Gold Coast area. Uh, which is not too far from Cabrini Green. It's just down the road. Uh, I, I looked it up on my GPS. He was shot walking out of Saks Fifth Avenue in the Gold Coast District. And that's another thing, a juxtaposition here. We've got this violent housing addition, and we have a Saks Fifth Avenue not even a mile away. That, yeah. We've got $600,000 condos. What a weird sacks, vortex of a place, And man. it's like, you would think that that money, the surrounding money, I should say, would... I'm not going to make any assumptions. But 
as of August 2020. A year ago. That's like the biggest murder that I could find. I am sure that there are still just all kinds of atrocities still going on there, even though Cabrini Green is no longer around. And I, it was, it is the city's goal to make that a mixed income neighborhood, meaning that the places that are still there to live in that aren't fenced off and boarded up and left, um, some of its market rate where people are paying $600,000 for a condo. Some of it is income based. Um, that gives it a mix of all kinds of people in there. Uh, and that brings us, I didn't really think that all of these murders would take the full hour, but here we are <laughs> an hour and four minutes into this and I'm just now done. Uh, and this is only the tip of the iceberg. I have merely only scratched the surface of the atrocities. You mean that... we couldn't cover all of Cabrini Green in one sitting? <laughs> no, uh, because Shocking. the next part of this, we talked about, you know, talking about Candyman and that Candyman was filmed in Cabrini Green, which we'll get into that next week. But there is something in the Candyman movie that is truly, in this case, the movie art is imitating life um i'm not going to get into too many details i'm going to leave you a little spine tingling so you come back next week to find out what the truth behind Candyman is um and a little more in depth into kind of the making of cabrini green and uh, i'm sorry the making of Candyman at cabrini green and some of the stories they use in the movie is not just stories so on that note thank you for your time i truly appreciate you and you can leave me a suggestion if you want for a story you'd like me to cover uh, you can catch me at housewife of horrors on instagram and facebook feel free to drop me a message or a comment or you know whatever you want to do you can find me there and uh, we will be back next week with the second part of this, I guess, commentary? Saga. This, yes, uh, this, this horrible saga. Yeah, apologies. For, I didn't know it was going to be this excessively heavy. <laughs> and not as uh, I could, there's not really many places you could find some levity in, in this. So hopefully. I mean, we I found mean, levity in the coyote. The boy did live, although he was harmed, but a coyote in Chicago? I mean, of all this stuff, it's 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 nuts. Hopefully, yeah, you got some stories to tie in with the movie, but hopefully when we get to talking about some of the aspects of the film Candyman, uh, we'll have a bit more uh, fun than we probably did this week. And uh, hopefully uh, it actually comes, comes to fruition and we get the new Candyman coming out here. Yeah, yeah, that trailer looked fun fire yeah that should be coming in a month couple months something like that so hopefully we get to see a new candy man but we can't go into the future without looking into the past and my apologies for getting a little emotional through the stories it's just whatever I bet, I bet. when atrocities happen to young children it is uh, being a parent i i can't imagine feeling like that i i wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy it softens us. Yes. So, uh, Damn kids once again, make you soft. <laughs> soft. S A W F T. Soft. Our total pussies now. Like shit makes you cry all the time. That would never affect you when you were a young single person, but totally different now. But I'm sure you brought tears to a few listeners' uh, eyes while this is going on. People crying while they're on the job. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, nothing. Nothing. I'm fine. <laughs> Murdered children. What? So, um. Once again, thank you. And again, you can find me at Housewife of Horrors on Facebook and Instagram. And you guys stay safe, stay scary, and have a good evening. <laughs>